I'm Julianne DeLynn Hatton, and you're listening to Faith and Reason on the Mormon Faircast. This series will discuss the Prophet Joseph Smith and the authenticity of the gospel he restored. I'll be speaking with Michael R. Ash, author of the book of Faith and Reason, 80 Evidences Supporting the Prophet Joseph Smith. Welcome, Michael Ash. Hi, Julianne. We're going to be talking about evidences 38 and 39 tonight, which are ancient shipbuilding and transatlantic crossings. Let's begin by talking about Nephi's mandate to build a ship. Yeah, when uh, the Lehites came to Bountiful, they were told to build a ship, that they were going to be leaving this the land that they lived in and uh, go on to the new promised land. So the, the Lord instructed Nephi in building a ship, and it's uh, very unlikely that he had ever done anything before, but uh, fortunately he had the Lord as his guide, and uh, he had to construct something to get his entire family and the people that had joined them across the ocean. What have historians recently discovered about ships on Arabian's southern coast? Well, they know now that in the area of Oman, which is in the area of Bountiful, pretty much where Lehites would have been, that already long before the Lehites would have arrived there, that there was shipbuilding going on. And in this area especially, they were at basically the forefront of of building these ships that had sailed to Africa, India, and China. So Nephi and Lehi would have seen ships in that area that if they wanted to, they could have patterned after for their own ship. What kind of a ship would Nephi have built? Well, since we don't know for sure, it's based a little bit on some speculation, obviously. And the ships that the Arabs had in this part of the world would have been like what we pretty much view as traditional ships. They would have been holed or or curved on the bottom. And uh, that would have worked, but uh, some scholars think that perhaps... Nephi built something different. Uh, He talks about it being of of curious workmanship, and he says that the Lord gave instruction that it was not built after the manner of men. So it it, it sounds like from the scriptures that he built something different. And it's very possible that he would have built almost a a giant raft, uh, and, and a raft would have had several advantages over the hold ships that were being made in his area. Uh, they would have a, have a rudder, obviously, to steer it, um, but by having this large, flat raft, uh, it would have almost been like a floating warehouse, and they, they could have brought a lot of supplies with them and a lot of people with them. And uh, they're very strong, these rafts are, and wouldn't necessarily been easy to tip over if it was large enough and spread out uh, well enough and uh, maneuverable through, you know, the various storms or areas that they would have had to get uh, around in order to get to the promised land. Is there evidence that rafts like this have been successfully traveled with before? Yeah. um, Years ago, there was a gentleman by the name of Thor Heyerdahl, and this is back in the 1960s, and he was a non-Mormon explorer, and he attempted to show that the Atlantic Ocean had been crossed by um, raft. He, he believed in in a dispersion of, of, of people that wouldn't have come to the New World, not just by uh, Bering Strait, but by the sea. And so he built this uh, papyrus boat, basically out of reeds and stuff, that he called the the raw one, and uh, he launched it from Central Africa, 
and went 3,000 miles before it finally broke apart, before he reached the New World. And so he tried it again. This time he built a, a raft based on designs of uh, some of the Indians from South America, Lake Titicaca area, and based on the shipbuilding techniques that they had, his raw two had much more success, and he was able to travel all the way to South America, the Polynesian Islands, and then South America. And it, it showed that a raft could make this type of a journey. And so that's one of the reasons why it's very possible that the Nephites traveled in a similar vessel. Your book says other people have documented these types of travels, too, all over the world. The more scholars learn, the more they find that people from all over were much more familiar with oceanic uh, traveling than we would have given them credit for before. And some of these things would have been traveled uh, across the Atlantic. Uh, they're finding perhaps in, in things even as simple as kayaks and dugouts and, of course, rafts and, and reed boats. And there's a lot of evidence that there's been many times accidental fishing accidents from, from Japanese ships that have sailed to the Americas uh, almost by accident, just from you know storms and stuff and, and the, and the uh, currents that have brought them there. Let's talk about contact between the ancient old and new world. Yeah, the scientists believe that the Americas were populated primarily from what would have been a, a land bridge across what's now the Bering Strait. And this goes back, you know, thousands of years ago. And that's how the first Americans would have come across. But because technology, at least in, in the boating area, seems to be kind of universal for anybody that lives on the coasts, uh, they believe that there had to have been some sort of contact between old and new world after the land bridge disappeared uh, under the ocean. And there seems to be enough evidences uh, from parts of the old world that uh, verify that there was some sort of contact. Um, one of the interesting ones that I believe uh, is, I don't know any other way to explain it other than contact, is that in Pompeii, in, in this was a city that was buried under volcanic ash in about the first century AD. I think there was a movie made about it just even recently. Uh, there's art depictions of pineapples. Pineapples? Yeah, exactly. Pineapples were not native to Pompeii, and they don't look like anything else. And so the only way that an artist could have accurately uh, rendered a pineapple in his in his artwork is to have you know seen a pineapple or seen as somebody else's drawing of a pineapple but either way there had to been somebody that had a contact either the artist directly or through somebody else that had seen a pineapple from the ancient new world um, and, and this type of a uh, evidence and there's plenty more is just builds this case that a number of even non-LDS scholars believe shows that there was this contact between the ancient new and old worlds. Do you want to talk about George Carter? Yeah, George Carter is a non-Mormon scholar, and he is a strong defender in these contacts between the ancient uh, old world and new worlds. And he talks about things that are God-made rather than man-made. For, for instance, because technology, again, uh, people strive to make things better in their in their worlds, wherever they are. Sometimes there's what they call independent invention, where, where somebody is going to invent a, a hammer or a plow or, or whatever, no matter where they live, because it is just out of necessity. And so 
because somebody has the same invention one from one part of the world to the other doesn't mean that there's contact. But when you have something like an animal or a fruit or a living thing, um, you know, you don't invent those. Those are, they grow, you know, they're there. They have to have some sort of contact. And so he talks about uh, a few different things, one of which is maize or what, what of course, we call corn. And uh, there in, in ancient Roman, uh, there is recorded descriptions of this grain that is described just like corn in large peas it grows on a stalk and so forth and again there's nothing else that matches it and there's no way that this corn could have been natural to Rome in fact it it, it never had been and it had to have had somebody again that was contact with the new world that either brought it over or described it or something um, but either way, it, it, there's, it's a very sure sign that there was contact between uh, the two worlds. In fact, there, there seems to be artwork depicting this exact same thing as well. Um, Carter also talks about things like the sweet potato, chicken, peanut, and he mentions several things in, in his writings that are all biological in nature that have shown up somehow from one side of the ocean to the other in ancient times and are not native to one side or the other. And so, again, it, it suggests very strongly that there was contact of some sort. Let's talk about chickens and cotton. Scholars, for the most part, have uh, believed that chickens were brought over by Columbus. And then with DNA studies, that some scholars have disputed this. They're saying, you know, that the, the races of chickens that are here in the Americas uh, are different than what the Spanish would have brought uh, alone and they suggest Asiatic introductions and in down in Chile there were some chick ancient chicken bones found recently and there was uh, several uh, non LDS uh, articles written about this in the newspaper and some magazines and the DNA studies of these chicken bones found a rare mutation that could only have come from chickens from the Polynesian islands so it, it shows that there was a contact from the Polynesian Islands, which are a long ways away, to the Americas. Mm -hmm. and, and so, yeah, it shows there had to have been uh, people coming from uh, one direction or the other that made this contact by boat. That's the only way that it could have happened. Um, same thing that goes on with cotton. Um, according to some botanists, they say that the ancient uh, Andean cotton, which is, you know, New World, is a hybrid of wild American cotton and domesticated old world cotton, in fact, very similar to what we find in Egypt. Now, cotton is not going to float all the way across the ocean, <laughs> and, and birds don't like bringing cotton across. They don't like the seeds and, and like maybe even the texture, and if the cotton falls in water, it can you know, be killed and stuff, but it, it somehow has too many similarities in uh, the New World cotton that, again, biologists tie to the old world that suggest that there had to have been something that come across from the ocean that was probably protected from the sea, you know, taken care of. And, uh, you know, the, the growing list of these type of biological connections is uh, expanding regularly to the point where more and more scholars, there's even been full conferences on this type of a, a thing in, in, in non-Mormon circles that suggest that not that the entire New World was populated by people from outside by boat, but that small incursions, at the very least, would have come by boat from the Old World to the New World. And, of course, that's exactly what we read uh, happened with the Nephites. Thank you, Michael Ash.
Thank you, Julianne. Thanks for listening to Faith and Reason on the Mormon Faircast. I'm your host, Julianne Delin Hatton, inviting you to keep the faith. Michael R. Ash is the author of the book, Shaken Faith Syndrome, Strengthening One's Testimony in the Face of Criticism and Doubt, as well as the book of Faith and Reason, 80 Evidences Supporting the Prophet Joseph Smith. Faith and Reason is produced by Tom Hatton with music courtesy of Arthur Hatton. The opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the views of Fair Mormon or The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You can support this podcast by subscribing to it in iTunes and by rating it and writing a review. Questions or comments can be sent to podcast at fairmormon.org or you may join the conversation at fairblog.org.